Hello again listeners and welcome to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast as always is brought to you by Event, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. As you may know by now, each pod I check in with a very special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. Now on today's episode, listeners... My special guest is someone who's been doing mental health advocacy for a lot longer than me. And it's, I think it's one of the most interesting people I've interviewed on this podcast. She has done absolutely everything there is media-wise during her journey and is a qualified doctor to boot. So I'm very blessed to be joined by none other than Dr. Rada Modgill onto the Just Checking In pod. If you recognise that name, listeners, it's because she is a radio and television presenter, as well as media personality who has done work across the UK media industry. She's a practising NHS GP, broadcaster and campaigner for wellbeing. She's currently co-host of BBC Radio 1's Life Hacks podcast with the wonderful Katie Thistleton. She was the presenter of the CBB show Feeling Better, highlighting the importance of talking about emotions for young children. And she was also presenter for the BBC Bite Size series Exam Survivors on BBC Sounds. She's also appeared as a medical reporter for the Sex Education Show on Channel 4 and Make My Body Younger on BBC 3. She has been the resident GP for the daytime show Live with Gabby on Channel 5 and for Newsround. She's also reported on ITV's This Morning, BBC Breakfast, ITV Tonight, Channel 5 News and ITN News. She's been a columnist for the I newspaper and has contributed to multiple books supporting young people and parents. She has a particular interest in young people's health and supporting parents and has worked on campaigns with BBC Children in Need, Public Health England, Mind and British Heart Foundation to name a few. To sum this up, listeners, she's a pretty big deal. I think you'll love this one. Dr. Rada, welcome to the Just Checking In pod. Thank you so much for giving up your time out of your very busy schedule to come on. Firstly, uh, how are you and and how are you coping with the lockdown? Imagine you're doing a lot of calls like this at the moment. (laughs) Oh, it's lovely to be here, Freddie. Thank you so much for asking me to be part of this amazing podcast. Um, Yeah, just, just like everyone else, I think it's been a real roller coaster of emotions um it's not even day to day actually it's more sort of moment to moment um so mm. it's been really interesting um not just reflecting on myself and kind of how I'm getting through it and like looking at my own sort of behaviors and coping strategies but also actually like you say just sharing information and chatting to other people about what's helping them because I think our power at the moment lies in sharing those strategies and helping each other. So I've been sort of reflecting myself on the things that I can try um, that might help me in those sort of moments of, of challenge. Cause I think we've all, we've all had them. I had one of those yesterday where I just had a bit of a rough day and um, had a little bit of a cry, chatted to my friend and, you know, oh, kind no. of felt a bit better. Um, so yeah, but it's, it's, you know, it's kind of part of the process, isn't it? It's part of mm. what we're all going through. So I think it's really good mm. that we all just talk about how we've been feeling and, 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 those difficult days as well so people don't feel Mm. like they're on their own yeah I feel like it's definitely day to day with me I I feel like sometimes there's 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 days where I'm like am I feeling a bit ill because I've been stuck indoors all day or is it just because I feel a little bit like you just get start to get a little bit paranoid about stuff and all sorts but um yeah I definitely I definitely get what you mean I think it's important you know as 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 much as ever now to stay connected although I am getting I'm getting bloody sick of uh, pub quizzes I can't lie (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like I've done an absolute, well, I... like absolute cartload. <laughs> 
I was playing board game, online board games last Friday night with some friends, which was so exciting. It was incredible. And I thought to myself, my gosh, like if you'd gone back about two months ago, if you told me that I'd be sitting there on a Friday night playing board games online with my friends and it would be so exciting, I'd be like, what? <laughs> Although I don't, th- I don't think I'm playing online risk anytime soon because that could last for four days. <laughs> Be like a marathon, like Monopoly, yeah, classic, exactly. classic Christmas Monopoly games. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, now we've got that out of the way. Shall we get started? Yes, absolutely. Let's start with this crazy presenting journey you've been on, Rada. Now, you've been on TV and radio for a number of years now, but just tell me a bit how this journey started, You know why you wanted to get into it, um, what was the first opportunity you had, and and how do you look back on the Rada who started that journey way back when? You know, There are certainly a few doctor media personalities out there, but not mm. too many. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's kind of an interesting story, really. So I, I never actually really meant to get into it. I never really actively went and found it or thought about it it was actually my sister who um I have to thank or blame I'm not quite sure which one but she (laughs) basically saw an advert um for a BBC3 show um that was actually now probably I was back in 2007 2008 which I can't believe actually it's been that long but she saw an advert for a BBC3 program and I don't know why because I, you know, in school plays, I was like a tree. I was a statue. You know, I was never really someone to kind of uh, get out there and do drama lessons or, or whatever. But she brought it back and she said, "Why don't you apply for this?" And I was like, I was being a bit of a grumpy little sister. I was like, "Oh, what's this? I don't know. I won't get it." She was like, "Have a go. I brought it all the way back for you." Um, mm. so I had a go and I really enjoyed it and I loved it. And um, I think it was a combination of um explaining and teaching because I've always loved teaching and I've always loved sharing information but also that Mm. kind of creativity and doing it in a fun way and doing it in a in a sort of team team way with lots of people that I loved so I I decided well I actually really like this and then Mm. once I decide I like something I'm a bit all or nothing I'm like right what can I do and so I kind of go for it and I um I kind of my one of my old uh, GP um, tutors used to say to me that I was a bit like a general in an army and I would once I decided I liked something I would just like go all at it (laughs) so so that's kind of yeah that's kind of how it happened really so it was a bit of a bizarre thing but then once I then then once I started to do it and I um loved coming up with ideas and I loved meeting people and um I almost just sort of took the attitude of well what have I got to lose why don't I just try why don't I just send a message out there and see what happens I've, you know and 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 it's and I've been really lucky and I'm really grateful that I'm still doing it and I love it Mm. talking to you now you are completely the same to how you come across on television which I guess is an is an art in itself did, did that did that sort of nice soothing confident and, and professional personality take you a while to transfer over into your presenting or, or did it feel pretty seamless really um that's really nice of you to say I have to say it is nothing that I do differently like I say in real life to kind of how I am in, in yeah. broadcasting I mean um my my family obviously obviously I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of all, always like this in my family and my friends but um but generally I I am just I try to be who you know authentic and who I am and I to be honest with you I can't really be any other way I mm. I have sort of gone for different um broadcasting uh screen tests or or some pilots and people have said to me can you be more authoritative or can you you know command more with your voice and I'm like well no because um if I did try to do that I wouldn't be who I am and mm. I get the sense that you know you're 
sort of authority, although I don't like that word because it's it's kind of mixed up with with things that aren't really what I think it should be mixed up with. I think mm, your authority, more negative, maybe. yeah, exactly. I think your authority or people listening to you, I would say, or wanting to listen to you and engage with what you're saying, it, it's more driven by. Um, your manner and your tone and the energy and the intention with which you do it rather than um, telling someone what to do or shouting loudly or whatever it might be. Mm. I don't know. So mm. I, I, to be honest with you, I can't really be anyone else. I've, I've, mm. I've Sometimes I've tried, but it hasn't really worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's all a learning process for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And actually what you said is actually kind of what my friends say. They sort of say, if they ever do catch me on the radio or something, um, then they say, actually, it's really nice because you sound how you are in real life and that's actually really mm. nice to hear mm. and it, I guess it's not something you can say about every person in show business or, or television um which is so it's no. that's always a positive um <laughs> what, what, what what were some of the, the challenges you, you faced in these early days as you basically made I guess a, a transition from one completely different profession to another did you did you have to learn new skills perhaps in journalism mm. or broadcasting figure out how to work new platforms maybe mm. some some personality skills about you know um, managing different people's relationships or expectations and how did you balance that work as well as, as being a practicing GP which I guess is an absolute sort of maelstrom of things to manage as well at the same time mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. So definitely um, had some challenges. So there obviously it's quite a lot of crossover in that um, when you're a doctor, you, you know, hopefully your communication skills are are quite good. They're quite flexible and adaptable in terms of explaining things. Um, and also the kind of why you're doing it and the fact you're wanting to help people or empower people. So there is some crossover, but there definitely were some challenges in that um you know, learning how the sort of the media world works or, you know, mm. learning how people work in the media world, for example. So, you know, um, very much, although as a doctor, you deal with very quick, urgent things and emergencies, um, there does tend to be more sort of preparation. So I've had to get mm. used to the idea that particularly in news, um, you know, you would have to react very quickly, very fast to a story or you know people would not really put things together until the day before so so learning to be um, adaptable and flexible in terms of time scales um mm. was one of the challenges um and i think also um the the sort of the idea that you know you are a doctor but also people want to see some of your personality so again being mm. professional mm. but then also having a good balance between being professional but also being engaging and and putting some of yourself into your broadcasting because I think mm. um you know that that also is is sometimes different from um mm. from a, being in profession or in a different mm. role um so there are a couple of those sort of challenges I, I I went through different periods of time where I sort of thought to myself what do I really want to do because sometimes you get offered um work or projects and you're not quite sure if that's who you are, if that's mm. so, so working out where where my journey wanted to go and what I was really interested in, and that's all been a, a sort of matter of decision making and filtering things out as I go along. Mm. I think, mm. um, but also I think the the big thing for me was really learning and understanding, um, just to pick and do the projects that you really believe in, you, you really value, and carving out your own identity I think was something that you know takes time um but it's quite interesting because a lot of people would just say oh I'll say yes to everything or I'll I'll do everything and definitely in the beginning I you know I was doing so many things here there and everywhere and then there came a point where I was like actually okay I've now got a bit of a grounding in having some experience what do I actually really want to do and what should I actually go out and look for now 
Mm. I get what you said there um, is really interesting about maybe like sort of extracting that that really nice bedside manner that you'd have as a GP and a doctor into broadcasting. Mm. Um, I just wanted to ask you quickly. I, it's not something that I, I enjoy asking this question, but do you feel looking back that obviously I understand you're of mixed heritage? Is that right? With an Indian father yes. and a white English mother? Is that yes. correct? Was, uh-huh. was was that was was sort of gender bias or, or racial bias or conscious or unconscious ever something that you encountered when you were sort of starting out or did your sort of expertise do the talking for you in, in breaking down those doors? Mm, I think that's, that's a good question. So I think, I mean, definitely in my medical career, um, before GP, I did about, um, you know, six, seven years of hospital medicine. And sometimes in in that setting, I would come across um, comments uh, from patients sometimes. For example, I remember working in A&E. And, yeah, I know doctors getting that now. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Working in A&E and, and going to see a patient, talking to them, examining them, probably spending about 45 minutes with them. And then after that 45 minutes, um, they sort of said to me, oh, so when am I going to see the doctor nurse? You know, so, so oh, kind of, sometimes little things like that would happen. Um, I guess, obviously, sometimes bi- you know, a lot of bias generally is sometimes is subconscious or it's mm-hmm. not overt. Mm-hmm. So difficult um, to sometimes pick that out. But but I have to say, generally, I I... I haven't come across um, a lot of that, or not. Any, I'm not that I would interpret as that anyway. Well, and that's I have, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think also, I think, I think, like you say, I think if you if you focus on your on your message and why you're doing something and 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 what your audience kind of needs, I'm hoping that that those sort of obstacles, fingers crossed, and with support from other people and, and mentors, will will take you through those. Mm. let's talk about the sort of fun part now and the sort of first mm-hmm. shows that you were on now I believe you're on a CBB show called feeling better a bite-sized show called exam survivor and then you're also the news round resident GP and I remember growing up watching uh Lisa Mazumba and oh, yeah. people like that when I was when I was a kid and I used to absolutely <laughs> love love this round um how, which of those came first you know how did they come about and and what were you doing on those shows because it seems just from just from reading those out that that children's well-being and mental health was a real passion for you early on perhaps you were even ahead of the times yeah so um so the first television show that I actually did was um a BBC Three show, Make My Body Younger, which is all about well-being for sort of um, 20-year-olds. So I had to go mm. and live with um, a 20-year-old and their family in their home for like a week or so and talk to them about lifestyle interventions and stuff like that. And that was pretty scary because obviously that was the first bit of broadcasting I'd ever, I'd ever done. Mm. Um, and obviously like immersing yourself totally in that experience was quite um, overwhelming. But I was really lucky that they were lovely people, got on with them really well and really enjoyed it. Um, so that was all very much about well-being, sort of physical well-being, but also a bit of mental mm. well-being. And then I did the sex education show, which was um, on channel. That was four. way ahead of its time. Way yeah, ahead. My, yeah. my school sex education was non-existent. So <laughs> I watched that for the first time. I mean, that was a shock to me. The stuff yeah. that was going on in that show. The firefighters <laughs> episode when they just got that man naked and just chat. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes. That was something else. <laughs> Yeah, so so like similar to you, my my sort of sex education lessons at school, well, they were they were given to us by our physics teacher, so it wasn't it wasn't ideal. I, yeah, but, um, if the baby gave him birth, and that was it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but um, but that was I mean that again was a really interesting, really progressive show, and actually one that mm. I was really proud of because it went round different schools um across the country on a sort of road show. We did wor- workshops, we talked mm. about anatomy, and we had yeah we had some naked people beamed in from another room on a big screen for an assembly and we were talking about 
talking about the human body and about um, STIs and, um, you know, pregnancy. And it was really interesting because I did come up against quite a lot of, not quite a lot of negative attitude, but interesting attitudes um, saying, oh, what are you doing now? You're on that show with naked people. Mm. And it was really... Should be the parent to educate and that's it. Like, yeah, I only want my child being shown stalks and (laughs) and Dumbo and that's it. (laughs) Exactly. And actually, um, you know, what was really interesting is that people would say, oh, I was, I was just flicking through the channels, Roger, and I, and I caught this and I was like, why don't you just say you actually watched it? You know, like (laughs) it was really interesting to see the sort of shame that was still around Mm, bodies mm. and human bodies. So that was really interesting for me. And it actually taught me a really good lesson as to really like you say do things that you think are valuable do things that are going to help people no matter what other people are going to joke about or or kind of couch in their own sort of things so I did those are my first sort of couple of shows and then I when I was growing up and at university I used to listen to the surgery on radio one and I loved it um it used to be on a Sunday night and I used to be driving back from university and I suddenly just thought right I'm gonna send a message try to try to send a message to someone on radio one and try to see if I can get involved in the surgery um and so I I I, I did send them a message on like someone on LinkedIn and, and randomly I got on wow. once and Old. I know I know Old. I rate it <laughs> <laughs> I know it's incredible and then I got on one show and then um I was really lucky enough to do um, every week and so I think that then sparked my real interest in mental health and mm. um emotional well-being and from then on in um, and radio one I've I've got so much gratitude for Radio 1 because I think it really made me understand what I was interested in and what I was passionate about. And it really, my emotional well-being and the CBBS show, Feeling Better, mm-hmm. and all the stuff that I've done since then has really been grounded in in uh, in Radio 1 and, and the surgery. Mm. Before we move on to life hacks, I just want to talk about some of the, the campaigning you, work you've done as a, as a public speaker. And you've also supported some really high-profile movements. What, what have been the ones that you were most proud of or the ones that you kind of you kind of take a step back and think, wow, I really did make a difference with that one. Mm. Um, I think for me, um, BBC Children Needs, doing work mm. with them, I absolutely love. I think they're a fantastic charity. I think they really care. I think they are a lovely, dedicated bunch of people who are just doing fantastic things. So I'm really pleased to be part of, of, of that and help them where I can help them. Um, I think also for me, I, I was, I'm actually really pleased that I got involved and I talked about things around mental health a long time ago when actually mm. not many people were talking about them not just me lots of people were doing Definitely that. Lots, not. loads of people Definitely were, not. were doing that but but I think I'm um I think I'm always really pleased or happy with myself when I can talk about something that other people don't want to talk about mm. so another example of that is um you know bereavement and grief um mm. which I tried to do some work with and also loneliness as well Mm. um so I I think I'm I think I'm really keen on talking about or helping with campaigns that um other people tend to shy away from or we're worried about talking about because if we're worried about talking about them that means we need to talk about them even more (laughs) Mm, exactly (laughs) Um, and it really matters so I'm I'm really pleased when I can get involved in those kind of campaigns Mm. it's interesting you say that I think I've I've spoken to a lot of guests um rather on this pod and I we've spoken about grief quite a lot with some of them and Mm. I think that grief is actually something that's that's more stigmatized than mental health is that something that you would agree with or you found as well 
Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and even when I've uh, approached different people about doing something about grief or about, um, you know, uh, covering it, I've, I've, I've really sensed quite a lot of resistance. And mm -hmm. what's interesting about this time though, and it's a really difficult, challenging time, but I think what's interesting about this, um, this pandemic is that actually those really tough subjects, difficult subjects, but subjects that we really, really need to talk about, they mm. are coming into focus and people are wanting to listen more. We need to talk about them even more than normal. And so I really hope that we can use this time to actually talk about the things that really matter and do that on on big platforms where where majority like majority people can actually hear that. Um, but I think I think you're right, you know, and what's bizarre is that you know, we're, unfortunately, we're all going to experience grief and bereavement, and yet mm. we don't want to talk about it. And there's reasons for that. There's whole like survival reasons, and the fact that we don't really want to, you know, face that or look at it because it's scary. Um, but mm. I, I would totally agree with that. And I think, you know, it's really great that you're covering that topic in your podcast as well. I'm trying my best. I think yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the best way to say it. Um, let, let's talk about all the amazing work you do at the moment now, Rada. Like one of your main day-to-day -day joys I guess is is working with the amazing Katie Thistleton on as oh, your yeah. as your co-host on on the Life Hacks podcast now now for any of the listeners who ha don't listen to it or if their curiosity has hopefully been piqued by this podcast j just tell me a bit about what it is where people can listen to it and and what you and Katie talk about and how the opportunity came about to present on it as well yeah, so you're absolutely right. Katie Katie is just amazing. I love her. We've become really, really good friends and she's just a wonderful person to work with. And we're quite we're quite attuned. We we have different ways of expressing ourselves, but we were actually really interested in, in the same sort of thing. So um so basically the Life Hacks podcast is on BBC Sounds, but it's also on lots of other podcast platforms. It's every week, so it comes out on a Tuesday. And um it's me and Katie, and sometimes we have a guest as well. And basically the remit is that we really want to talk to people who have sort of hacked their life to make it better. So we mm. talk to people who've had a difficulty, a challenge in their life. Um, we talk to them about that and what happened for them. And then we then talk about what they're now doing to help other people mm. um, with mm. those challenges. And it's, it's a lovely, positive podcast. It's really inspirational. It's kind of like Katie and I joke and say it's a bit like free therapy. Um, yeah, that's what people think <laughs> my podcast is a little bit sometimes as well. Yeah, exactly. Because when you come out of it you just feel uplifted because you've you've spoken to incredible people you've also shared um topics like you say like um grief bereavement mental health um we've done you know gender identity sleep um you know eating disorders we've done all kinds of uh different topics and it's really fascinating to understand and learn more from people but also mm. talk about things that really matter uh for all of mm. us so um yeah it's really lovely um and basically um the surgery kind of turned into life hacks um mm. uh which is obviously there's a live show on radio one which is on sunday afternoons which is fantastic because it's daytime and it's bringing a lot of those topics um to a, a really great and really large audience so hopefully we can start to get some of those topics done in a in engaging way um out to lots of people who can hear them Mm. Katie, if you're listening, my DMs are open if you want me as a guest. That's all I'm saying. Ah, <laughs> oh, Katie's so <laughs> lovely. She's so lovely. Um, you're also such a positive influence on social media, Rada, and definitely someone who brings a lot of joy to my Twitter feed right now because at the moment it's 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 honestly utter chaos. I found that oh. Instagram's become my escape and Twitter's become the thing I need to manage, whereas it was probably the other way around uh, before the <laughs> pandemic. 
yeah. just just tell the listeners about um the work you've been doing during the pandemic and your ideas for isolation posts as well which I think is something that the listeners really need to hear about oh yeah so thank you so when I when this situation sort of was was starting about a week before I think all the restrictions came in um I just it's probably a lot to do with my my own psychology as well but I just thought to myself right I need to do something I need to do something positive I've all, I always have lots of ideas um but sometimes not the time to do them all but I just thought right so basically what I did was um just reached out to loads of people that I know or I've come across from the podcast or tv or friends and just say right can you record a short video about an idea someone can do in isolation, a skill, a thought, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if it's funny or, or serious, just do something. And so I just set up one basically, every posted one every day from these amazing people who gave their time up. And we had everything from journaling to breath work to meditation to juggling to ear wiggling to trampolining to kazooing <laughs> to um to art and craft just loads and loads of different ideas and so um I actually ran that for sort of um we actually got 50 just over 50 of them and I decided to just end that just the other day actually because I thought we've reached half a century and people are quite busy now so um I kind of strong work (laughs) (laughs) yeah I called an end to it I wanted to end on a round number um and uh, but the the videos are still up there on my Instagram um and you can go and have a little look because they're really funny they've got some great creative people in there who are just fantastic and I loved I actually loved doing that so Mm. um yeah that was one of my Mm. little projects just just reflecting on how far you've come rather on this sort of presenting journey do you ever take a step back and and just reflect on how much amazing work you've done to further the conversation around well-being and mental health you know you've been doing this like you said in times where the stigma around it was really high I mean it's only just breaking down a little bit for men right now I'd say uh Mm. and that stigma certainly prevented people like me from speaking out when I was in school sort of the mid-noughties to yeah, the, the sort of early noughties to mid noughties. Mm. Has there ever been a moment which has sort of stopped you in your tracks and made you pause a little bit? Maybe someone's DM'd you to say you've changed their life or impacted it in a positive way, or maybe a compliment by a passing uh, stranger in the street, perhaps, or something else? Mm. Oh, that's really lovely. And I think, yeah, like you say, I mean, that's why your podcast is doing great things as well, because um, the more people that can do this, the better, and the more we talk about it, the better. I think there have been a couple of moments where I've been really touched and really. Um, sort of emotional and I think um one of those was when actually uh I was in the Southback Centre in London maybe it was a couple mm. of years ago and I was just sitting chatting to a friend and then someone came up to me and said um oh excuse me are you are you the doctor from Radio 1 and I was like uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> always a bit of attentiveness <laughs> what's gonna oh, yes. happen in this situation <laughs> next <laughs> I and I said oh yeah I am and she said um oh do you know what I've just I just recognized your voice and I was like, and I really, for some reason, she said, she said, I really love the show. Thank you so much for helping my friend and me. And I was like, that's really lovely of you. And I just suddenly realized the impact of how someone could recognize your, your voice uh, and not having even seen you and actually recognize that. That really shocked me. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, because I sometimes try not to think about who's watching or who's listening because I think mm. um, sometimes that makes, I don't know, you, you lose your... You feel the pressure a little bit, can't you? Yeah, and your intent, your intention, you just get a bit sort of ungrounded in terms of your intention and, uh, and, and what you're trying to say. Um, and then I think... The other, <laughs> that, that also happened to me when I was at a friend's wedding. The photographer came up to me and said, 
excuse me, are you from the radio? Because I recognise your laugh. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. That could be a back-calley compliment or a compliment, depending on how <laughs> you're looking at it. <laughs> but I think, I think, like you say, when I've had, um, the real the real things actually is when I've had direct messages or I've had um, uh, people message me and say it's really helping, that really makes me feel so grateful. And also, um, you know, every time on Radio 1 that we do a live show and we get some amazing comments back or someone saying that we've helped them it really sounds it sounds silly but you know you get that kind of shiver where you just Mm. think you you get feel so emotional that some something has 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 helped somebody and actually feeling better on cbb's for me um that pro that series was really everything that i'm about all in one Mm. show um, so for me, you know, we need to start talking about feelings and emotions at a very, very young age. And 100%. the fact that was for preschoolers mm. and it was trying to do that in a lovely, entertaining way that really mattered. I just, I thought that project was beautiful. Mm. And just a, just a final question on this topic before we move on, Rada. What message or advice would you give to someone who's perhaps listening to this pod who might be in their fledgling broadcasting career you know looking to try and break in or make a difference you know what would you say to them if they were listening in um I would say just just go for it just work out what you love work out why you want to do it I think the why is so important the how will come after you work out the why um, if you understand why you want to do it, who you're trying to reach, what the purpose of that is, that will drive you. Uh, the how and, and how you're going to actually do that comes easily after after you've got the passion for it. Um, and I think also, you know, what you've got nothing to lose. Um, people used to laugh at me because I would send out loads of cold emails to people. I was, you know, I'd once remember going to like... Um, old again. <laughs> I know. So I know going to like news agents and writing down all of the editors' email addresses from all these magazines and emailed them all. I mean, I email and I still, I still do. I still get in touch with all kinds of people. And I and people used to laugh at me and say, "Oh, Rod, you'll never do that. I can't believe you emailed that person. They're like so big or they're so like well known." Mm. I'm just like, "Well, who cares?" Who cares? Yeah, like, yeah. What, what have you got to lose? And actually, yeah. um, it's also exciting. It's fun. It's creative. So I would say, work out your why. Work hard and be determined. Get your vision. and But but most of all, be authentic. Don't let anyone tell you you should be someone different because your message is unique. It's special. And when you're authentic and when you've got good intention behind what you're saying, people will hear you. It may take a while, but they will hear you. So just, yeah, just go for it. We've talked about rather the presenter, broadcaster, extraordinaire, I should say. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk a bit more about your own journey now. So so firstly, just tell me a bit about your early life, your, your teenage years, and whether looking back, there were sort of any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint. You know, who's the rather we meet here? Mm, so good question. So, um, both my parents were actually um, child psychologists, so maybe that's oh, where wow. I've got my interest in like, almost, mental almost health. Almost out by the time you got to university. <laughs> yeah, exactly, I know, I know, exactly, exactly. Um, they, yeah, I, th- I think my, my dad once said that, you know, they used to do, um, uh, was, it, was it emotional intelligence tests or something? I've got the results yes, up in the, yeah, in the yeah. loft, in the attic, so I'm not sure out of four of us who, who, who got the highest score, but anyway... <laughs> um but yeah so so that my parents I kind of grew up um with a lot of books academia around me I was always helping my my parents actually wrote a lot of books about 
at educational psychology and I would I would be mm. like asked to sort of staple them together and help them out in my school holidays so I was always surrounded by books and learning and and that kind of thing and then um I was actually during my sort of school school time especially when I was young younger or in primary school I was always kind of um labeled as a, as a very sensitive child so very oversensitive yeah I was loud I was loud but oversensitive so that's like the ah, worst combination okay yes yeah <laughs> so I was always like you're the sensitive child you're oversensitive um and um you know kind of and, and that was again that was quite interesting so I think that was probably you know in my in my school times I used to worry quite a lot about um mm. schoolwork and like you know leaving my spelling book somewhere or you know I was probably oh, was yeah when your heart falls out your butt you forget <laughs> your phone or something oh that's the worst yeah exactly and it's probably that that element of like not wanting to um upset people and mm. a bit of a people pleaser type sort of, mm. sort of scenario so those sort of patterns I think were interesting and I definitely um in my sort of twenties uh, and and, um, and sort of early thirties, started to recognise more of those patterns. Um, but but mm. I also got annoyed, you know, at that kind of labelling of people as oversensitive. And mm. I think since I've you know got older, I've I've realised actually that's a that is a gift to have um, mm. sensitivity and empathy and to understand how other people are feeling. And um, you know that actually those terms can often be used very negatively when actually they are mm. a gift. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely in my, in my teenage years, there were lots of exams, lots of exam stress and, um, mm. you know, exam after exam after exam. So, so a lot of those sort of, um, feelings, I suppose, came out around sort of academia or, or exam times. Um, so in that way, I suppose that they were my sort of challenges through my sort of, um, early and sort of teen years. And then obviously mm. becoming a doctor and, um, taking on responsibilities and having to learn quite fast and all the things you see as a doctor um, also and doing night shifts and all those kind of lifestyle things mm. that are quite stressful again was a sort of another phase of it as well. Mm. For any medical professional I can imagine it can feel like a never-ending period of studying before you become a GP <laughs> or well become a qualified doctor let alone a GP because yeah. there's, there's more years of studying for that. At what point did you feel like mental health and, and a specialized form of well-being perhaps was something that you wanted to pursue was it fairly early on or were you still kind of figuring it out yeah I think I was still figuring it out so I did um I did my obviously qualified as a doctor then I did six seven years in hospital where it was very mm. much <clears throat> very much down the lines of um staying in hospital medicine and being a hospital doctor so there's lots of exams postgraduate exams during that and night shifts and um reaching the next sort of um uh, bar in terms of that escalator of achievement which again you know when I was at university I, I saw the fallout of of some of that from people in my year who got very unwell um mentally mm. very unwell from exam pressure and stress at university so that really I think that time in university when I saw a couple of people in my year you know having to be admitted to hospital because of their mental health I think that really made me realize the importance of looking after yourself and actually mm -hmm. that that is the priority above everything so I think that was a really interesting mm -hmm. turning point for me um so I did the hospital sort of years and then when I went into general practice um I then started being kind of more interested in um more holistic sort of stuff and people you know the, the person as a whole and their family and what mm -hmm. was going on from socially and then that coincided with the with the media stuff so I think that that combination then just made me feel like actually this was a direction I wanted to go in more. Mm. What was that feeling like when you 
first became a, you know a qualified doctor and also a qualified GP you know you, you said that your mm. your parents were both medical professionals was there <clears throat> was there a great feeling of accomplishment and elation was it was it relief and and looking back did did was the medical profession ever something that your parents pressured you into doing or was it something that you just naturally fell into because you loved them and you wanted to be like them basically mm. so so my parents were sort of more um in university psychologists so they were more lecturing mm. and academic psychologists rather than medical oh, okay but um but interestingly I mean I think there was still a lot of um I think a lot of kind of what's the word pre expectation probably uh, okay. medicine yeah. was a good career a good job mm. and I liked science I liked biology particularly and understanding how things worked and I liked people so that seemed like a natural fit um but you know you, you know you do what you always wonder don't you I think everyone probably wonders um you know when they get to a certain point is is what is what I'm doing what I wanted to do or what mm. were the influences around me at the time um so I think I think that was something which I always enjoyed and I think it fitted my personality very well um but you know who 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 knows because we all have so many different talents don't we we have so many different skills that actually in a different set of circumstances who knows I mean I always love teaching as well I always love sharing information um and I love children and young people so you know who knows I could have I could have gone off to be a teacher <laughs> it's kind of yeah, difficult there, to, we, there we go yeah. difficult to know isn't it um mm. but but when I first became a doctor um I think it was you know amongst me and my friends it was actually kind of seeing the, those letters near your name on your bank card mm. or something because you work so hard um for six years that seeing that in writing you can't quite believe it um mm. and then obviously when you qualify I think the more exams you do when we the more qualifications you get you um start to sort of then realize actually you're doing it for with a purpose in mind not just for an achievement if that makes mm. sense because I think we mm. all get into that mindset of being at school and college of achieve 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 exam 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 um mm. but as you get older you start to realize actually why you're doing something and actually then you start to enjoy the fact that you're putting that to use I think rather than just having it on your CV. Mm. Exactly I definitely agree with you and I think during this whole pandemic I think education on what you know NHS staff are are doing is is just more important than ever mm. for for you what were the sort of challenges that you faced kind of in your first early years of being a, a medical professional and, and and perhaps some of the realities that you know a regular Joe blogs like me or or a member of the public maybe doesn't see that they should perhaps appreciate more that you mm. do um so I think <clears throat> challenges were definitely around seeing all of those big life events that you've never really seen before so mm. you know, being on your first night shift and um you know having to um go and certify someone who's passed away and seeing you know seeing someone who's passed away um or being in a sort of um, medical arrest cardiac arrest situation um is really challenging because you've never seen that before and it's really you know really sad you think about who that person was and their family mm. um I think also you know night shifts and, and weekends and the kind of mm. antisocial hours and in terms of missing friends or missing birthday parties or missing those kind of big events is also quite a quite a challenge did you get did you get fear of missing out over that <laughs> yeah I think so actually I think I think you do and I think um you know you don't really realize it at the time because obviously that's your job and that's obviously what you know you signed up for and, we, and you know that's why we mm. do the job we we know that's coming but I think it you know it does 
you do you do kind of have some sadness around you know, obviously sometimes missing Christmas or family mm. events and um and yeah people going out and enjoying themselves and you're like oh I want to be there too um but you know it's it's part it's part of the job and that's what people are aware of and they they we mm. all sign up for that um but there there are some of those challenges I remember doing um a palliative care job um and again that was very challenging because you were just seeing such difficult situations and um you know, end of life care I mean it's a really it was a really um valuable and really rewarding job to do but it was also mm. you know emotionally quite hard and I think you know I, I definitely you do have to learn um to try to sort of have some protection of your emotional boundaries because mm. you know you need to do that to be professional but also you need to do that to keep some of your emotional energy um for yourself as well that was a question I was going to ask a bit later, but I think it's good that we can tackle it now. You know, as a, as a doctor and as a broadcaster, how do you sort of separate those sides um, when you're doing them and able to sort of, you know, turn off as well when you need to? Mm. I think um, I think signposting is really helpful. I think knowing mm. that, you know, you're not the only one there for people. People, there are other people, other organisations, um, other people who can support those people who are in need. You know, we can't, none of us can save the world all on, all on our own type thing um and i think that a little bit but thankfully not anymore <laughs> exactly yeah um so recognizing that recognizing that actually all you can do is your is your best um is also very important um and i think again really carving out time for yourself so recognizing and it's an old sort of phrase but you know you have to look after yourself in order to give to other people um and it's not a selfish thing you know it's not a uh when I was sort of younger I used to think oh that's really selfish I should just do do that and do this and but you actually realize that you know you need to look after yourself so taking time to exercise seeing your friends sleeping you know doing all those things which are good for you and learning to say no as well mm. you know when when you're tired when you need a break recognizing that in life there are periods of rest and you need a period of of you know consolidation rather than you can't always be productive and you can't always be doing things all the time it's just not possible and it's not healthy either mm. I think the uh you know just say yes sort of mantra is is not particularly helpful for a lot of people who have mental health no, issues because no. it just makes us never want to switch off and do any self-care unfortunately <laughs> um just as, a, just as a final question Rada and this has been a great topic I've really enjoyed this um you know if there are any sort of medical students or junior doctors listening to this podcast you know what message or advice would you give them and also what message would you give to sort of the general public about maybe treating our NHS staff a little bit better or be a bit more kinder when they are in those environments Mm. so I think to all sort of medical students um listening really kind of work out why you want to do what you're doing um but also Mm. don't stress out too much because just like everything in life um your medical career will be a a journey it'll be a pathway and actually you don't need to know what you want to be or do right now that will evolve in time so even if the people around you know what they're going to do know what speciality within medicine they're going to reach you don't have to know that you know you try things out experience things um, understand that you can be flexible in your career path and don't don't worry too much about the outcome of that um, but also very important you must look after your own mental health your own emotional and physical well-being it's really important and um, mm. you know there shouldn't be a place for for sacrificing that you need to really maintain that as your foundation to be a good doctor um, and I think to the general public I mean 
you know, most of the people that I meet are really lovely and they're really grateful. Um, but I would just, I would just say it's that thing about empathy, isn't it? It's, um, mm. you know, really to just look at that person. They are a professional, they are treating you. And so they obviously they have a duty of care and responsibility, but also they are also a human being. So, you know, if you can just smile, if you can, um, you know, chat to them, if you can you know, make eye contact with them, um, just, just think about, think about that as an element in there as well because actually it will improve that relationship between healthcare worker and and patients um and and also I think you know for all of us I mean I if I'm if I'm sort of meeting someone who's in a public facing role I try to be extra nice to them because um it is it is a tough job you know when you're working in any kind of role um you know that's public facing you know you have to you have to deal with a lot of different people a lot of different personalities and so I I sort of try to if I'm going to well before the situation going to the train station and buying a ticket I try to be extra nice to that you know person who's selling me a ticket behind the ticket desk or you know just to have a bit of a smile say thank you I think I think the words thank you are so important and if uh um, a paramedic, a doctor, a nurse, whoever it is, it just hears the words "thank you." It really makes such a massive difference to their day. So, mm. if you can, just say thank you because that will really help them. Our final topic of conversation, rather, and it's one I have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about our mental health. So, firstly, I know there's a bit of extenuating circumstances, but how would you say your mental health is at the moment? It's a good question. So um, at the moment, it's actually okay. It's okay. Like I said, um, sort of at the beginning, I think at the moment it's been, you know, it's been up and down. So it's that kind of moment to moment, Mm. sort of like what mood am I in? How am I feeling? Um, I think definitely when this first started, I was um, like everyone, pretty anxious and, Mm. you know, waking up with anxiety about what was happening and what was going on. And that kind of probably lasted for like about two weeks. And then I think it went more into sort of um acceptance type phase (laughs) all the kind of sleeping a bit better yeah sleeping a bit better trying to find some kind of constituting structure but then also since then you I've gone through phases of um uncertainty about the future or feeling really sad and missing my friends and family um and so to be honest it's a really like it's you know at the moment it's it's okay it's good but you know it, it kind of does change and I think that's probably going to be the case for you know a while to come for all of us because Mm. this situation is so uncertain Mm. and if you felt comfortable saying what mental health issues or conditions if any do you live with and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life um so I wouldn't say I have any sort of mental health conditions but I think probably if I'm prone to anything in terms of a an emotional state if things are challenging it's probably anxiety more than any Mm. of them Mm. um so uh, in terms of sort of worrying being a lot in the future like what if what if um I've got quite a good imagination rumination Um, anxiety is yeah the overthinking is yeah I get that a lot yeah so I think that like imagination is really useful it's a really useful tool but obviously you can use your imagination to kind of scare yourself so 100% had <laughs> so, that a lot <laughs> yeah so I think one of the tools that I use is I, I'm like well actually if I've got a good enough imagination to think about what ifs then how can I use that imagination to think about 
you know, amazing things that might happen. You know, so it's actually about recognizing how you can sort of flip those things around and use them to mm. your advantage. And I've definitely been learning much more about the strategies and tools that I use for my mental health during this time and mm. adapting them um, to see if they can actually help me feel better. Mm. And what age do you think you were when you first realized that these feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? Um, I read a really amazing book and I, I love Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you've come across him. I haven't, but I send me the link for the book and I'll put it on the list. Yeah. So it's called, <laughs> um, he wrote a book called the power of now. Um, and he, he's actually quite, he's quite famous now since that book. And I remember reading that book, um, probably in my like mid twenties and finally mm. understanding that our thoughts are not who we are and actually about mm. the, you know, the whole idea about sort of separating yourself from your thoughts or from your feelings and almost sort of watching them. So kind of being the watcher, he calls it, of your thoughts and the observer of your feelings. And then in that space that you create by doing that, you then have that power to actually then choose um, how you're going to respond um, to that. And I, so that book for me was like, was was pivotal in terms of me understanding that. Um, so mm-hmm. he is amazing. If you haven't come across him, he's got lots of YouTube videos and he's got um, a couple of books and he really is, I, I find him really helpful in terms of his approach. Mm. Uh, and what things do you find in life that might trigger your mental health? You talked about the anxiety uh, and thinking about the future and stuff, but they, you know, it might be things that people say, environments, social situations. You know, what what do you think do you find that trigger them, or, or perhaps have you not figured all of them out yet? Um, so I think probably life changes. So you know, big life changes, mm. transitions in life. Um, they're always quite um, unstabilizing, aren't they, or quite ungrounding. So I think those mm. potentially. Um, I think also, um, you know, just in terms of basic physiology, um, you know, if you haven't eaten, you haven't slept um, very well, then you're you're kind of you know you haven't got as much reserve to sort of to deal with your feelings and your thoughts. So I think those things are really really important. Um, for me, the sort of the you know, one of the antidotes for that is obviously exercise as well. So I love exercise. Mm. I love nature. Nature for me is so good. Um, mm. I love being um, sort of outside and feeling sort of um, the calmness and groundedness of nature. Um, mm. So yeah, they're the kind of tools that I, I find really helpful actually. Mm. And how do you support friends in your own social group who, who may have mental health issues themselves, who might, who might be going through a, a poor period of just mental health in general, um, given obviously your, the, the amazing work that you do? And also, you know, how do your family or partner support you in, in, in periods where you might be struggling as well? Mm. So I think for, um, for me, definitely a lesson that I've learned in life, and I think it's helpful for people that I'm supporting, is um, to try not to fix situations or fix yes, problems yeah. <laughs> mm. so I, I, I tended to be a bit of a fixer oh you've got a Same. problem Let people me pleasing it. stuff oh, yeah God, exactly yeah. Need to um, be there for absolutely everyone and checking in on everyone all the time no Fred you don't have to do that <laughs> don't worry you don't have to be there for everyone exactly right yeah and also you've got to ask yourself why you're doing it why do you feel the need to do that mm. um, because again that's more reflection on yourself than the person mm. who actually um, has has the issue or problem so I think I think not trying to rush in and fix things for people because actually that disempowers them um Mm. and also potentially it's coming from a place where you just feel um overwhelmed yourself and then Mm. but I think also a really simple advice is is just to tell people that they're not on their own and that you felt like that before and that Mm. you're here for them and um actually just to ask 
ask questions so they can actually come to their own choice and their own decision and they can come to their own realizations about what's going to help them I think is really Mm. important um but honestly that really that basic thing of just saying I'm you know I'm here for you you're not on your own and I I understand you know I I felt like that too you know Do you do you think in the sort of years that you've been doing this that the conversation around mental health is changing? Uh, and if so, in what way? You know, I, I talk a lot about on this pod, you know, toxic masculinity and trying to break that down, but also mm. talking a lot about, you know, positive masculinity um, mm-hmm. too. You know, how do you think the conversation is changing, not just for men and boys, but for everyone? Yeah, so I think um, definitely in the last three, four years, um, some of the some of the stigma around mental health has been shifted um however i do think that there is a deeper sort of stigma perhaps we've taken mm. the top layer off um yeah but i yeah. think there is that there is a there's a big stigma and there's stigma around things like grief bereavement i think there's a massive stigma still around us talking um in a mainstream way about children's mental health um Mm. and I think that's because sometimes we don't want to we think it might reflect badly on us as adults or grown-ups and we Mm. don't want to see it because we want to think that our children don't have those challenges but Mm. I think there is a you know I the top layer has been taken off but I I do sometimes worry that sometimes we are using words which we're using them so often that they become meaningless Mm. Um, and I, and I want us to really dig deep into what those words mean, not just use them in a flippant way. So one of those words is resilience and that was Mm. used quite a lot or mindfulness. Um, Mm. those words are used quite a lot and they're great words. They're great to get those concepts out there, but I really want us to not just superficially talk about those concepts to really understand what they are and really Mm. give people the tools to put those into action it can't just be about words you know a lot of the time we read stuff about mental health and we read words but we don't have anything to take away with us to actually do mm. um so I think it's got better but I think there's a lot more that we still don't really want to see or talk about and I think that's our next mission is to carry on doing that Mm, I think a lot of the time, I, I completely agree with you. I think resilience is used a lot, but it's it's how you teach resilience. You know, I've always find that I always kind of say that resilience is is developed through people supporting that person at the time, yes. and then they develop the resilience to be able to deal with it better. You know, I developed resilience largely on my own because I had to deal with the emotional trauma and crises that I was going through in school on my own. Mm-hmm. But I would never want someone to. Um, be taught resilience through the way that I had to do it. You know, exactly. you need to support someone in when they when they p- perhaps don't have the tools themselves to do it, and then when they go through it again, they can say, "Okay, this is how I got through it last time." Yeah, this is how I can do it again. Um, so I think it's really important what you say. It's like a you know, there's a kind of analogy. I mean, I, I'm not a big guy. Gar- I love gardening. I'm not a very good gardener, but I've <laughs> recently been like planting some vegetables, right? And basically, I was like reading about the concept of you know putting the seeds in a pot and allowing them to germinate and then once mm. they're kind of um kind of hardy or they hardened off or what they call it then you put them outside okay in, in the natural environment but I was you know that's almost like an analogy isn't it is that you don't you know you want you need that support that in that germination period when you when mm. you really need it you need that light that water that warmth to help you know what's going to help you the strategies the tools and then you can go out into the into the world and you can deal with things and you can have that resilience but you need that support if you put that little plant out in the cold air before it's ready 
it's not going to thrive. And I think that what you said mm. is is actually exactly that. I've got one more question before we wrap this up, Rada. And this has been an absolutely amazing pod. I think all the listeners will really enjoy what you've had to say and and also how you, you help people and, and have helped people throughout your career. What more, and this is quite a broad question, I might, I might add, what more do you think we need to do um, to help everyone but in, you know on this podcast you know men and boys get to a stage where they can talk about their mental health maybe not straight away but maybe quicker than we have done previously and not feel like it's so highly stigmatized mm, that's a really really good question um I think a lot of that has to do with all of us being more open and more honest mm. I think a lot of it has to do with having um real conversations and authentic conversations about well-being mm. on big platforms, not just superficial mm. conversations or airbrush conversations around that. Mm. Um, dig and I deeper. Think, yeah, dig mm. deeper, exactly. Mm. And I think also to try and understand as a world, as a, as, a, as a global human race, what can we learn from each other? You know, we tend mm. to separate ourselves off in different cultures or countries or, or traditions. What can we learn from each other about about happiness, about peace, about joy. Um, and also those early years are so critical and so fundamental that what I always fail to, I, I, I come to think why, why, why we can't kind of get this concept. Basically, if, we all, if we're all taught to look after our own mental space, emotional space, our own space around our, in our little bubble, if we all did that, mm. there wouldn't be any issues in the world. <laughs> So if we can all just yeah, empower exactly. each yeah. each one of us to do that, we can all help each other. So I'm I'm really now looking at it from a global scale in terms of what can we actually do um, across this world. And I think this pandemic situation actually does open the doors mm. for us to have more conversations about that. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I want to give a big thank you to Dr. Rada for giving up her time to be my special guest on this episode's pod and for checking in with me. As always, thank you to all the vendors who tuned in. Keep following the rules, stay healthy, and we hope these pods can be a bit of a light in a dark time. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it, or if you're being very, very generous, write us a review on iTunes. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, it's always okay to vent. It's true.